Thank you, Chuck. What a great opening passage for where we are today in this pandemic. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, we press on. Um, I know there are about 25 of you out there right now in this cavernous assembly room that will accommodate at least 750, and I've seen it absolutely filled before, as many of you have who are here and all of those of you online. But I want to remind us all, as it's already been reminded through, um, through Andrew and, and really in uh, Shane during the uh, Lord's Supper moment, that we are the family of God and we go far beyond this building. And I don't know about you, but I don't use technology like many do, you know, the, especially the media platforms, uh, but isn't it great? Honestly, I'll think about it. I'll talk, I've talked with Debbie about it before. Isn't it wonderful that of all the times in our life, the only time that we've ever seen a world, a global pandemic, and the world shut down, that at least we have the opportunity to congregate as God would have us to come together. It's not just here at this building, this brick and mortar, the body of Christ, the church, or the people. And as we said weeks ago, I'll see if the few who are here that I can hear, um, two different words here, H-E-R-E -E and H-E-A-R. Those of you who are here who can hear me, when I say we are the church, <laughs> yeah, we are the church and the church is never closed. I brought that up, I, I don't know when it was, several months ago and it, um, it seemed to catch on because it's very, very true. Okay, um, I want to take us back. By the way, we've been going through the Bible, what we call a Bible reset, uh, actually two years ago, where we've already gone through in this pulpit, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, and now we're on Philippians, and we'll have another two or three Sundays on Philippians. But I call Philippians, it is without a doubt a book of joy. Uh, it is a book based on joy. In fact, all of Paul's letters, all 13 epistles, there is not a single epistle that really concentrates more on the theme of joy than does Philippians. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read that. Before I read Philippians, I would hear teachers and Bible school and so forth say that. And finally, I thought, well, I wonder why. What is there about Philippians that brings joy? And so just, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, whenever we began this study, and all that I preach is, you know, is, is as fresh as I can make it as the Holy Spirit works through me during the course of the week, as opposed to pulling something out of a filing cabinet for decades, I find it refreshing for me to look at a text differently than I did the previous year, or whenever that is, you know, whenever that might have been. But as I was reading through Philippians, I thought, I see building blocks here. I see a foundational block of Philippians 3 and verse 20, where the Apostle Paul writes, our, uh, our citizenship is in heaven, and from there we await the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then built upon this place that our, our commonwealth 
is in heaven, not on this earth, then Paul comes right back and says, therefore, you need to know who Christ is. And when you know who Christ is, everything begins to fall in place. And the only way to know who Christ is and to, and, and to really enjoy his presence with you is forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. 35 years ago, uh, Debbie and I and Shane and his brothers, we all lived uh, in a little, um, little apartment in, um, in Amnes, the Netherlands. And we were about maybe 20 kilometers south of Amsterdam. So this is a, a photo of Amsterdam. Uh, in 19, 1985, when, when our youngest son Shane was just a little toddler of a couple of years old, um, my mom and dad came from Texas to visit us. And it was a memorable moment for us and for them because they had never been to Europe. During the war, dad was in the Pacific, but of course mother wasn't that uh, broadly traveled. And so this was an exciting trip for them. And as we're walking the streets of Amsterdam, I wasn't, this doesn't fit into the lesson. I'll have an illustration that will, but uh, I really was hoping, and I want our Latino um, brothers and sisters, our um, hermanos Latinos, to really appreciate this. But as we were walking through a very crowded uh, downtown block of Amsterdam, much more so than you see here in this picture, um, of course, everybody was speaking Dutch, speaking Nederlands, and Mother, as we moved about and she was wanting to shop, she just looked at me and said, you know, gosh, Michael, wouldn't it be wonderful if everyone spoke the same language? And I said, well, what would that be, Mom? <laughs> and she said, English, of course, English. <laughs> well, the truth is, everywhere we go, that's what we want spoken. In the, on the same trip, now for the illustration that will fit. I always like that. Um, but this is a train station in Amsterdam. And so one of the trips that mom and dad took, sort of a side trip, was over, was across the English Channel, but they had to go from Amnes to Amsterdam to the ferry where they got on the ferry, crossed over the Channel, went into England, took a bus tour, and so forth. As they were boarding the train on the window of the train, and Mother's telling me this later, by the way, because we didn't go. This was a side trip for them, and I'm glad they, they had the, that wonderful moment to go together. She saw a sign that, I don't know, maybe somebody hand wrote it. In fact, that's what she kind of implied, taped on the window of her train seat. There it is, you know, right there. Kind of graffiti, but it was written on a piece of paper, not on the glass itself. And the sign read, You'll never reach your destination, <laughs> so enjoy the journey. And mom turns to dad, and as she's telling me the story afterwards, and she said, and we did. They loved to travel, loved to travel. So do Debbie and I. We um, love to travel as best we can. When we do travel, we would much prefer to drive. If it's too far, more than eight or 10 hours, we'll take a, a, a plane. But, but we like the driving because we enjoy the journey itself. Well, I want you to know that in the book of Philippians, on this Bible reset, as we journey through Scripture, what Paul reminds us of is, he said, though our citizenship is in heaven, 
And from there, we are anxiously awaiting, eagerly awaiting the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Though he says that's our destination, God through Paul, the Spirit through Paul reminds us, enjoy the journey. And so you ask yourself, how do you enjoy the journey? You never take your eyes off the prize, and the prize is the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But until that moment, until we can lay hold of the prize, we're on a journey. In fact, we'll talk about this track imagery in just a moment, but this is the text that we'll be looking at. The text that Chuck already read, um, and the first part of that comes from verse 11, and it's an excerpt. What Paul is saying is, I want to get to know him and the power of his resurrection, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That was Paul's prize. That's the goal for all of us. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I, but one thing, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, and here comes the text that we're going to be looking at. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to know that Paul would frequently, in his 13 epistles, and so do the other authors, but Paul especially, what does he say in 2 Timothy 4 and verses 6 through 8? The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. All of these athletic metaphors. Now, that's all this text is. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Remember where the congregation is. They're in Philippi. And Philippi was a Roman colony. There weren't many Roman colonies. Philippi was one. They spoke Latin. At least that was 60% spoke Greek. About 40% historians say spoke Latin. The colony itself was a Roman colony, and that's where Rome designated this entire region uh, to be ruled under Roman law. Normally, the law that Rome ushered in as it conquered various city-states and cities and country, they allowed them to have their own law. Like in Jerusalem, they allowed the Sanhedrin, the high council, to, to have its Jewish law. And so, but, but in Philippi, it was strictly Roman law. But Philippi was still a Greek city, a city in Macedonia. And so you've got Thrace, Macedonia, Achaia, and, and Greece. And, and now pretty much they're all forming the Greek nation. Macedonia is still there, and Greece. Now, what they were familiar with is this track imagery. Now, keep in mind the Olympics are not any sort of modern-day uh, games every four years. In fact, historians can trace the Olympiad back to 776 B.C. And many historians, sport historians, have said that that was the first recording, but from, their, from, their, from what they've studied, it went back another half millennium, another 500 years. If that's the case, nearly the time of the Exodus, you began the Greek games in the city-states of Greece. 
It was an old, well-established tradition for not just centuries, now millennia, but even then for a long time. At the very least, when Paul was writing Philippians, the Olympiad went back at least 800 years, 773 B.C. They were familiar. And by the way, these were city-states in Greece that really lifted it up. The Roman world, the Greco-Roman world, spread it throughout the entire Roman world. But it began right there in Philippi, in Thessalonica, in Athens, in Corinth. That's where it all began. They would see runners training all the time. That's why Paul used the metaphor. It was a familiar sight. The games were familiar, not just every four years for the Olympiad, but the local games. They were runners, and they were track and field was, was very prevalent. And so when Paul talks about our commonwealth is in heaven, then he begins talking about the journey to that commonwealth. And the joy is not only the destination, Unlike what Mother read, you'll never reach your destination. We will reach our destination. But the journey is the joy. And so um, we'll talk about these in just a moment. We're going to start with this. Paul writes, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. What Paul wanted to know is Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. Verse 12, for those of us um, and I pray there are hundreds of us who will look at the text later, it's a pivotal verse in Philippians 3.12. So what Paul is letting them know is, I'm still in the race. The race isn't over. And I'll tell you what, during this pandemic, it's all I think about to stop looking back. Stop looking back when, you know, pre-pandemic, you know, what, were, what was life like at Antioch, you know, eight or nine, ten months ago when this sanctuary was filled every Sunday and Wednesday night, all the people moving back and forth and the world seemed to be somewhat normal. And then all of a sudden this occurred and everything seems to be topsy-turvy. And so I, I just need to remind myself the race isn't over. I'm still on this journey of faith. I tell you what, on the journey, on this journey, this is where we become what we are. Now, Chuck and Debbie, I don't know if you did it together, but there was a time in your life when you received Christ. You were buried with him in baptism, and you arose to walk a very new life, right? We sometimes believe that's the end all. In fact, it's the very beginning. Is there joy associated with it? Yes, but the real joy comes in getting to know the groom. It's like when you first get married. Is that a joyful moment? Yes, but I guarantee you 48 years later, it's a whole lot more fun. You've, the, the joy that you build is in the journey. We need to remember that we haven't already obtained our new commonwealth, but in fact, it's the journey. That's where we understand how we become what we are. I'm, I was Christ-like when I received Christ. 
but it was the becoming process. Now, th this may be a challenging word to really use and understand, you know, the word becoming. What I'm trying to say is when you start your journey, there's, there's, there's minuscule joy because you're an infant, you're just starting. The real joy is in the growing. The real joy is in the relating. The real joy is understanding who God, Father, Son, and Spirit is and how it moves in your life, just like the real joy from, from our marriage has been the journey itself, not the destinations on this side of eternity, just the journey is fun. And people say, well, I'm somewhat joyless. And I want to say, well, you know, you can be saved and be joyless. I really can't make the connection, but I do believe it's possible that you can actually have obeyed the gospel of Christ. You know, we are saved by grace and mercy. Joy is relational. And that's where the joy comes. And so as Paul begins this, he reminds them, you're still in the race. Don't quit. You're still on the journey. We don't really have time right now, but have you ever thought about the Great Commission? We use the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We use it to want to convert the world to Christ. But in fact, it is a discipling commission. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you and taught you. And I'll be with you always, even to the close of the age. The joy is in the teaching. It's not just from the teacher, it's when you teach, it's when you disciple someone on the journey of faith. Okay, this is, now how in the world can we express this? Well, Paul says, um, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on. And this is how he does it. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. By the way, the one thing is not the forgetting and not the straining forward. The one thing comes next. The one thing is the prize. But Paul says you'll never reach the prize and you'll never experience joy until you forget what's behind you. Don't look over your shoulder to the steps you've already run. Don't wait for, don't find out where the other runners are. You know, don't, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. And, the, and it really in the text itself, it implies a stretching forth, hands out, crossing, ooh, cr crossing the finish line, crossing the tape and, and so forth. It's the forgetting what lies behind and straining forward. To what lies ahead. Now this, my, I don't mean this, you know, this may fall on deaf ears. If it does, it's perfectly fine. But um, this is an antithetical parallelism. It, it, it's, it's, these are parallel. Forgetting what lies behind, it's the opposite of straining forward to what lies ahead. And it's a very carefully structured sentence that Paul writes. And if Greek were our first language, it would make more sense to us as we would read in the original text. And it made a whole lot of sense to the Philippian church. When they read this, they thought, what an interesting twist of words. What a, what a great way to phrase it. These are parallel, but they're opposites. You think of parallels going be in the same direction. But this is parallel. One's, you know, if these were two lines, one arrow would go down, the other arrow going up. And so you forget what's behind you and you strain forward to what lies ahead. Life is so distracting. 
we are easily distracted on our journey. And the more I am distracted, the less joy I have. I may have shared this before to the congregation, probably have several times, but when we first got married, Debbie and I, it wasn't for another two or three or four years, and somehow in the conversation, we were kind of sharing, well, you know, what were you looking for in a husband? What were you looking for in a wife? You know, I, I don't know what the context was, but I do remember very clearly Debbie saying, well, one of the things I wanted was someone who would help me get to heaven. I thought, whoa, that's pretty heavy. Someone who would, but in fact, that's what we want as Christians. And I suspect when you married, perhaps the same thoughts cross your mind. It's very sobering, but in fact, we're saved by God's grace and mercy. But the journey itself, we need accountability to really have joy. I like the thought that she hoped and prayed that I would help her on the journey of faith. And I guarantee you, that was my thought. Please help me on the journey of faith. And, you know, in the risk of sounding a little bit pious, I think I've picked up far more from her than she has from me. And I say that very honestly. But we are so easily distracted. Somehow in our journey, the only way to have joy is for me not to go back to 1985 when Shane was two. I have great memories of that. Oh, they're so wonderful. But I don't live in 1985. Neither does he, neither do you. We live today. Photos remind us of, the, but we live today, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I tell you, looking back is not good for the daily walk. I played golf on Friday, and I was hoping, I, I, you know, with the normal Sunday setting, and perhaps they're listening online, but Henry Lynn, I played with Brother Henry, uh, and his nephew, Matt, had a great time. But in any typical sporting activity, certainly in golf, and your great players don't do this, that's why they're great players. But I can tell you, how do you, how do you end up carding, for those of you who play golf, how do you card a 10 on a par 3? Although even Tiger did that in the Masters, came right back with three birdies. That's the point I'm going to be making, because when I have a blow-up swing or a blow-up hole, you know when I think about it? Every time I pick the club up again to hit another ball, I'm thinking about that horrible swing five swings ago, and it just is exacerbated. The point is, even in the athletic world, you cannot live yesterday. It doesn't help you in the moment. In fact, all it does is hurt you in the moment. So somehow you have to let go. And I think it's a great analogy for me anyway, because, you know, it's life. No matter what sport you're doing, if you're running, as Paul said, how many times have the, I'm not a trackster, but how many times have the coaches said, don't look back? You know, when, you, when you're running full, you know, stop this. Because what does it do? For one, it slows you up. The other, you can't see the ground you're running on. And if you're running cross country, it's really a mess. Because you could easily trip and fall if you're looking back and you, and you have a turn to make. The point is clear. It's just like the Christian life. That's why God said, for example, in Psalm 103 and verse 12, if you don't know this verse, you need to memorize it early, right, right now, regardless of your age. It is one that you need to refer to frequently. Memorize it. Psalm 103, 12. 
as far as the east is from the west. The psalmist says, our Lord separates our transgressions from us. I know we believe them, but our past is riddled with guilt and pain and the sins we've committed and the good. Either way, I, I can't go back and undo the bad, and I can't go back and somehow relive the good. It's, it's back. And if I want to be miserable, this is where I live, back. Not just the good moments, and there were many of them, but I also, if I go back, I have to live the bad moments and the sins I committed and the pain I felt and, and, the, and the whatever. It's all back there. And so what does God say? Well, excuse me, but as far as the east is from the west, I've removed you from your sins. Why are you going back? I want you living today. I want you on the journey pressing forward. It's a journey. And we need to understand that. If the one thing is not the forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, if that's not it, then what is it? Well, here it is. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. As we bring this to a close, notice the three words. And I'm going to fill in the blank here as to how I, what I think Paul is saying. The goal is the end of life. And I don't care how young you are, there will be an end of life. Your journey might be a hundred years. I hope it is. But the time will come when the journey is over. The goal. So Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, don't look backward because you'll fall. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, press on. Whether you're my brother Darty, who's 95, or whether you're me, who's 71, or whether you're my grandson, who's nine, press on. You don't look this way, you look this way. The goal is the end of life. The prize is heaven, and the upward call is the rapture. I know we don't use that word, but it is in Scripture one time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 18. We know the text. Paul writes, But I would not have you ignorant, my brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, that you may not grieve as they do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive shall in no way precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven, that's the, that's the upward call, will descend from heaven with the cry of command and the archangel's call and the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive, here it is, shall be caught up together with them in the, to, there in the clouds, there to be with the Lord forever. And then he closes verse 18. Therefore, these are joyful words, Paul says, therefore, comfort each other with these words. The prize, heaven, 
The goal is the end of life, and the upward call is when the Lord comes back. Now, since I've already mentioned one of my sins, I'll mention one more. Good illustrations. I understand why preachers do it, because that's what you know the best. Um, the son ran track and cross country, and he was uh, in high school when we were in San Antonio, and right around that time, I read an article, and that's why I read the article, because the article was titled, I Never Won a Race, But I Always Finished. And the story was written by a Harvard admissions counselor who, what they do is, when students apply, at least year, decades ago, they had their applications, and part of the application was an essay they had to write. And this particular high school student who was a cross-country trackster, ran cross-country, um, had good grades, but, but, you know, not your national merit finalist kind of straight-A type grades. But he so desperately wanted to get into the Ivy Leagues, and so his essay, and it so impressed the counselor, he wrote an article about it. The essay that, that the young boy, that the young man wrote was, I never won a race, but I always finish. And his point was, I've run track for three years in high school, cross country. I never won a single race, but I always finished. And then he explains in the essay, if you just give me a chance, I promise you, I will finish. I will graduate. And as far as I know, he was accepted. Now, I don't know about you, but I remind myself and my sons and my wife and my friends and everyone that I can, whether in the classroom, the pulpit, walking the streets, military, no matter where it was, we're in the race. God does not expect us to win. It's not winners who go to heaven. It's God's people. And all he asks is that we finish, that we keep the faith. What does Paul say again in 2 Timothy 4? He's on his deathbed. He's getting ready to have his head removed. Peter was crucified on a cross, but Paul was beheaded. And Nero was there. And we, I mean, history says that Paul clearly died in Rome. And while he's in Rome, he's writing this from the prison. 2 Timothy, his last epistle. And it's epistle of joy, too. And Paul reminds Timothy and the church at Ephesus and the church across the, the, you know, the entire region. He says, the point of my departure is at hand. But I have. He's not giving himself credit for winning, he's, he's saying, I didn't quit, but I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Henceforth, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. Henceforth, there is later for me a crown, the wreath, a crown of righteousness that the righteous judge will give me on that day and catch this. And not only me, but to all those who loved his appearing. Paul is reminding the churches just before his head is taken from him that you need to stay in the race because the crown is waiting for you too. 
You don't need to stay in the race perfectly. You don't need to be the champion runner. You don't need to make, you know, do everything just right. You just need to finish. And that's God all, that's all God asks. And I thought that was such an interesting, wonderful slide. Now, we look at those two boys. These are, this is clearly high school. Look at those two young boys running, and one from another team is helping the other guy. And I know that we think, what a great closure. And that, that image will preach, by the way. But I don't know about you, but you know who I see? I see me in the white. And you know who I see in the dark? I see Jesus. I see Christ, the Spirit of God. We're not alone even on the journey. We're never alone. Number one, we don't have to finish first. Thank you, Lord. We just have to finish, but not finish by ourselves. We finish with God's help. And he is faithful and just, and he will be there. 1 John 1, 9, beautiful text. Well, church, I pray that you'll think this through. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, we press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God does not expect you to win the race, but he does expect you to finish. Amen.